Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Nah, I'm not going to use these random, like, government condoms I'm, if i'm gonna use a condom i'm using one that a homemade uh, one yeah <laughs> yeah i'm gonna share that lamb myself <laughs> some and, people uh, are making sourdough during the pandemic <laughs> other people just started making their own condoms i got a bunch of lamb skins hanging out in my yard and uh, as soon as they dry papa's gonna get some Yep, yep, yep. There it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another spectacular episode of My Mama Told Me, the podcast where we dive deep, deep into the pockets of black conspiracy theories. And we finally work to prove that Boosie Badass is only pretending to be this homophobic so that people don't look up how tall he is. That motherfucker is five foot six, and he wants those Google searches to go way down in, in search so that it's just homophobic stuff, and you don't know that he's borderline a little person. That's that's the conspiracy theory I'm spreading today. I'm your host, Langston Kerman. As always, I'm coming in hot. I'm excited. I it, it, what a what a great time we're having here today because my guest, my guest is not five six. I know that for a fact. He is much taller than five foot six, and he's much funnier than Boosie Badass. That these are facts that I know a hundred percent out in the world. He's hilarious. You know him from his his show on HBO called Problem Areas. You know him from his comedy specials. So funny. Give it up for my guest, Mr. Wyatt Sinat. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like. 
any any compliment that is he is better than Boosie Badass <laughs> feels like it's a good that's a good intro for anything for anyone. That's that's the barometer that you want to set is better than Boosie at. <laughs> I just I look the best jumping off start. The the way to begin is just to say better than Boosty, yeah. and then you can prove your worth from that point forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think I think even <laughs> if you've got some kind of a hot take, I think you could still come out with your hot take and be like, it's not going to be as bad as Boosie, and people be like, <laughs> okay, we'll we'll hear you. We'll listen. All right, we're listening. Yeah, it's better than Boosie. Yeah. You said you've told us where the floor is and you're saying you're not the floor. All right. Okay. We'll we'll entertain it. <laughs> All right. I want to get into your conspiracy theory because you you came to me with a conspiracy theory that I truly had never heard of before. Or at least there are elements that I had heard of before, but not this specific story. And I think that this is a really exciting one, really interesting one, brand new to me. So I can't wait to talk about it. You said my mama told me and I'm going to make this a little coded. But you said my mama told me. The legend of CJ Nobody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was a very regional conspiracy theory. This was mm-hmm. something I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I was in high school in Dallas around the time that the story of CJ grabbed attention in Dallas and maybe outside of Dallas. And the story goes, there was a local radio station, K104. Uh, Sorry, did that? I got an email. I thought I put my thing on Do Not Disturb. Oh, I didn't hear anything. Oh, well, then never mind. okay. Okay. So then let me start over. Justin, enjoy trimming that out. Yeah, Justin, you idiot. You got more work to do. No. See how Wyatt, Wyatt doesn't respect you either, Justin? No, Justin. That, oh, geez, that was not the case <laughs> at all. I have a lot of respect for you. Uh, you know, you came on. I saw your face. We didn't actually say hello to one another, so there was tension there. But, you know, it's not on my side. I appreciate your work. I think you're really great at what you do. I think, if anything, uh, you're probably being undervalued and underpaid. Both you and Olivia, I feel like this is maybe the opportunity to talk about maybe restructuring <laughs> your contracts. I would support you 100%. If you need to do a walkout and take to the streets, I'm not where you are because I'm assuming you all are in California. I'm not there, but I I stand with you virtually. Right. And that's what means the most, I think, is the virtual standing with you. That's exactly. what's going to save you, Justin. Yeah, it's all the it's all the likes. That's all. We run on a like economy now, baby. So CJ. Yeah. (laughs) So CJ was one of those things that maybe was just a regional thing to Dallas. Maybe it expanded beyond Dallas. But when I was in high school, there was a local radio station, K104. And this woman called the radio station. She said her name was CJ. Mm -hmm. And she said she'd been infected with HIV. And... She didn't know she had sex with a she had sex with her boyfriend or her husband. She got AIDS. And as a result, she was then she made it her miss her. She made it her mission to try to infect as many black men as she could with AIDS. And so she was going out to nightclubs 
And she was, at least on the radio, she was saying she's headed out to nightclubs. She's having unprotected sex with as many Black men as she can with the idea that if she's going to die of AIDS, that she wants to take as many Black men with her as she could. Mm -hmm. Now, a, a few important details just for people to to catch up on this story. And that, granted, you probably know this story far better than I do. I've just been reading about it recently. But one of the things that that at least I read that got mentioned was the fact that her infector was a white bisexual man, that 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 at least that was her original claim was that a white bisexual man who she had some version of a relationship with infected her. And then she subsequently decided to go out and infect a bunch of black men. And nobody ever really uh, explained the math in between of why she went from white man to black men in her infecting. Yeah, there was something very odd. I I feel like I don't remember that aspect of the story when it came out. I, I remember hearing it being talked about on the radio and just on the way to school or anything like that. Like you're listening to the radio and there would be pleas from DJs that <laughs> like CJ called the station. We want to talk. And there was this thing of like radio DJs sort of turning into like quasi like therapists or something like that where they're like they're trying to stop her and (laughs) they seem to be the one conduit is like the morning zoo person and and this is dallas at a time when steve harvey was a radio dj in dallas at this time but you had yeah djs trying to reach her where it feels like you all aren't equipped to do this. No, this is this is Smokey and the Toilet Bandit, and we're asking <laughs> CJ to stop uh, giving everybody AIDS. Yeah. Like, bro, this isn't how that works. Yeah, this weekend we're having a car wash, but next, hopefully, CJ is going to call the station. You're listening <laughs> to Russ Parr in the morning. <laughs> it was yeah, there was a very strange thing that it was happening on the radio, and also these aren't people who know how to talk about this and no one knows how to talk about this at this time and so there's just this huge panic and i just i remember as a kid listening to the radio and there being this real sense of panic because it was still it was still at a point in time when aids wasn't dealt with with compassion but with this ostracization people were being ostracized you nailed it i loved it Thank you. You know, <laughs> people were being ostracized. They were being vilified. There were there were laws in Texas. I remember that to knowingly give someone AIDS, you could be like arrested and charged for that. And that's how mm-hmm. it was. That's how it was being treated as this thing of like, how do we criminalize people? How do we do all this? And so the idea that all this is happening, and then this woman calls a local radio station, and it's up to a bunch of disc jockeys to be the ones (laughs) to sort of have the conversation both like, okay, we want to talk to CJ and talk to her about, Hey, maybe don't do this. But then also we maybe need to have an educated conversation about 
AIDS and HIV and perhaps trying to not mm -hmm. demonize people for having AIDS or HIV, but instead it's, man, this sucks. We got to do something. <laughs> Let's get some sound effects. Sound effects will fix this, right? Hey, you know. <laughs> Nothing cures AIDS like a yeah. like a just a Jamaican uh, <laughs> horn going off. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that I feel like I know this didn't happen, but I I feel like if that horn had followed every time she called, it wouldn't have surprised me. Sure. <laughs> it was just like, wow. All right, that was really CJ. Just called the station, and we had her. She said she's not gonna stop. Uh, what she's doing. It's really a scary time. We want to remind people to be safe out there. And uh, before we go to commercial, <laughs> yeah, it's it feels like, to your point, this is not only a period of, of irresponsible conversations around HIV and AIDS, but it also is a collection of the most irresponsible people to be handling this very difficult conversation. And so subsequently, of course, CJ is still going to be like going out and doing whatever she was doing. And if nothing else, seeking attention for the thing that she's claiming to be doing. Yeah. And the fact that you the fact that you mentioned that it was a white guy that she got AIDS from. I don't remember that when it all happened. But the fact that nobody, at least as far as I know, I don't remember a conversation that was, hey, CJ, you said a white guy gave this to you, and now you're targeting black dudes. That yeah. feels really strange. <laughs> Why? Not that you should target anybody, and maybe what you need to do is perhaps talk to a doctor or a therapist or somebody like that who can kind of talk to you about just that you can lead a, a a life that it's not, this is not the death sentence that you seem to be making it out to be. Yeah. But that, like, none of that, again, because it's fucking Russ Parr is having this conversation <laughs> as he's like, and now another one of my Bobby, Jimmy, and the Crickets songs, um, <laughs> which if you don't know Russ Parr and Bobby, Jimmy, and the Crickets, that's a, that's a great YouTube rabbit hole to go down. I'm excited to find this out. I I have no idea. So side note, uh, just a pin in CJ for a second. Russ Parr was a local Dallas DJ, and Russ Parr was basically the black Weird Al Yankovic. Whoa! Yeah, like he made these songs. He I don't know if you remember. You might you might be too young for this, but Arsenio when Arsenio had his show. At some point, Arsenio started doing this rap persona called Chunky A. I do not know about Chunky A. <laughs> so he did, he did like all, he made some music videos and stuff like that. But all that stuff, like Russ Parr was doing that type of stuff too. And Russ okay. Parr had put out like, I think records, but he had music videos and he would perform under this alias Bobby Jimmy and the Critters. And he did one song called Hair or weave and <laughs> it was there was like a there's a song where like the i can't remember who did the song but it was like the chorus of it was like do you really want him or do you really want me and he took that song and 
made a song called Hair or Weave. And the right. whole chorus is like, hair or weave, hair or weave. But yeah, so... And, and let me say that that's, that really is a shame that Russ Parr didn't get more national attention, that that became some localized conversation, because I would have really enjoyed Russ Parr in my youth. Yeah. He sounds like a funny fucking guy for a 14-year-old who needs some stuff to look up. Exactly. No, that's exactly who Russ Parr was. And Russ Parr did, he wound up making movies, and I think he's, I think Kevin Hart was like, some of Kevin Hart's first movies were Russ Parr productions. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So there is like this like comedy lineage that you could maybe trace of, okay, Russ Parr there. There are definitely some folks. I think Kevin Hart. Yeah. I think his first, maybe his first couple movies were like Russ Parr produced movies Nice. But yeah, All the ones that look like they were shot on camcorders and <laughs> yeah. like in parking lots. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where Kevin Hart maybe had a small role in it, but if you were to go look it up on iTunes now, he's the main image that you see. <laughs> For some reason, he's the cover of the DVD. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that uh, that's who's basically working in the radio station at the time that CJ is happening. And yeah, I just remember as a kid, again, I was probably ninth or 10th grade. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there was this real fear of, oh, what the hell is going on in this city that people were terrified, but there's also this like mystery of everyone wanting to figure out who this person is because she just went by her initials. She just went by CJ. And so it wasn't clear if CJ was like Katherine Johnson or if CJ was her first, the name she went by as a first right. name. And there was like, and she was like CJ Brown or something like that. Nobody knew. And so there was also this aspect of it that was, oh, who is this person? Is this somebody who goes to my church? Is this somebody who it lives in my neighborhood? Do they know my cousin? Like, And so there was this real sense of just like, I think, anxiety for people in Dallas at that time. And yeah, you would listen to it on the radio. And again, I don't remember somebody saying, you know what, let's also get a doctor on the air. here. <laughs> let's, this is maybe a Dr. Drew situation. <laughs> Let's consult a medical professional before we uh, dive into this whole conversation. Yeah. And then at some point, I remember the cops got involved. And then, yeah, the cops were like, okay, we're going to look for the CJ. And I remember then on like the news, on local news, there was stories about CJ and somebody doing like an artist or a police sketch of CJ and like, this is what we think she looks like. And mm-hmm. just that, which then is just s- sort of ratcheting up people's anxiety even more where it becomes, okay, I, did I see that lady in the grocery store? Should I, as a citizen, stop this person or what? Right. Like, and and Dal- I mean, Dallas, Texas is also just such a everybody wants to be a cowboy type of place that I think you have these people who are like, well, yeah, if I see her, I'll I'll stop her and whatever. Right. Stopping her. Yeah, I'll shoot her in the foot. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating you say all of that because 
in reading some of like the articles that came out of this time, one of the things that that the articles sort of talk about is this increased tension that came across the city, but then also like in a weird way, a level of responsibility that kicked in where like suddenly men at nightclubs are being much more wary of who they talk to <laughs> and and like making sure that they're using protection for the first time because they're scared of this sort of like Batman with a pussy that's out in the street. You know what I mean? Right. Just out haunting people with her her threat of of HIV. Right. Yeah. And at that time, I mean, I wonder in a weird way if you then saw like I, I feel like this is the conspiratorial part of me where it then is like black men are just like, well, fuck it. We just got to date white ladies now. <laughs> This is all the justification I was looking for. <laughs> Black women are dangerous. Yeah. I got to go this way. Yeah. <laughs> it turns into this weird fear-mongery <laughs> thing of like, well, that O.J. Simpson's right on to something. Let's go find a white lady. What is the year? 1991? Yeah. That man is spot on. He's never done anything wrong. Yeah, no, he still, he still looks like a hero to a lot of people. <laughs> I think he's a year. He's a year away. It's, it's yep. A, he's he's got a he's got one good year, and then you find out exactly who that man is. <laughs> yeah, a guy who's trying to solve a murder. He's still <laughs> trying to solve a murder. I don't know if you saw. He did an interview recently. Where did you see this? I don't think so. He did an interview recently, uh, I believe, with the Athletic, where he was saying how his life is now and one of the things he said is that he's uncomfortable going to los angeles oh i did see this because <laughs> he doesn't know if he could be sitting next to the killer <laughs> in a restaurant <laughs> i'm uncomfortable going to la because they have so many mirrors in yes. their restaurants <laughs> We did a we did a an episode uh, a while back on OJ Simpson and I and, you know I don't know where you sit in all of this but I actually do genuinely believe that his son was the one that killed uh Nicole Brown Simpson and uh you know it it's it's a lot to explain but I don't think that OJ was was innocent in this I think he definitely helped and was like a part of the thing but I don't think that he was the actual like uh knife to chest guy if that makes sense oh yeah no i i feel like he did that shit <laughs> he did that shit I, I, that's I, fair i feel like Listen, I, did you watch I, the espn the five-part documentary yes uh, i loved it so much yeah i feel like after watching that i was like okay i never not that i had a question about whether or not he did it but there was just too much of oj as a rage monster that yes. made me think okay yeah this feels like this feels right in your wheelhouse of things you're a guy who likes to collect knives and can't stop hitting people and hung out outside your ex-wife's house one night just to watch her have sex with somebody and when or be a good dad or be a good dad who knows <laughs> sure yeah no that's yeah no i think that's that's also it one thing we don't talk about as much in like divorce proceedings is you know for each person 
when they split up that for the kids, it makes sense that even if mom or dad have moved on, that they should still be in the room and witness to the <laughs> sex that their ex is now having. Just to be in the room because for the kids, it makes sense that, you know, mom and dad were in the room when they had sex and had my little brother or sister. They still need to be in the room for the kids. I just sleep easier knowing that my dad's stalking my mom and her new partner as opposed to living independent and growing and making peace with whatever became of their lives. Yeah, no, it should be mandated that, okay, well, when you're, if you have kids and you split up, that, yeah, even though you're not together anymore, whenever either of you is going to have sex, the other one still needs to be in the room for the kids. Yep. If you're wet, we're together. That's, yeah. Those are the rules from now on. <laughs> that just it's, it's just the right thing to do. That, yeah, you're there. You don't have to participate. You can read a book. You could coach from the sidelines. You could, you could cheer, root for, or against. <laughs> just sit there. Where'd you learn how to do that? You weren't doing that when we were married. Maybe we'd still be together. Boo, boo, <laughs> she's showing off, boo. <laughs> Let me ask you this about the, the CJ nobody of it all. You you are a young person at this point. You're not you're not an adult. You're you're theoretically not uh one of CJ's targets at this age. Is there a fear amongst your peer group? Is this like a talk that's happening with y'all or is it more in relation to like the adults around you that you're getting this information? No, I think it was mostly from like peer group because we all listened to the same radio station and that became a topic of conversation because we were also at that age where we were starting to think that we might be having sex soon. And yeah. so there is this <laughs> element of wait a minute, we just got old enough to start thinking about having sex. And now there's this, like, the city's on some weird lockdown where, like, there's a a woman going around trying to infect black men. And right. so I think there was this genuine fear, I think, even among, like, black teenagers where it was, oh, fuck, like, if that's going on, like, because also I think we all saw ourselves as like, I'm 15. I look like a grown ass man yeah. right now. <laughs> I can walk into a nightclub and or how do I know that CJ's not going to think, look at these muscles. How's she not? Right. Gonna, she might be hanging out at the <laughs> at the basketball court. And come on, dog. I grew two inches this year. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a threat. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in danger. Yeah, I got stubble. I'm like, <laughs> And so I think there was that thing, too, that selfishly there was this idea of like, well, yeah, maybe, you know, I think I think I can hang with an 18 year old, 19 year old, 21 year old shit. Mm -hmm. Like maybe if I can get into a nightclub at that age, I wasn't really I still looked like a boy. And so I it wasn't I had to grow a beard to stop looking like a child. But yeah. but there was that genuine that genuine concern and worry, I think, among my friends and myself that, oh, well, if this is happening, also, if something like this is happening, is there are there other people doing this? And 
this is the person that you hear about. And I think, again, in that sort of demonizing conversation, there's a part of that that's like, this is the only story that we are hearing, the only conversation that we are having in this moment about AIDS and HIV is about this super villain going around trying right. to like kill people through sex. We're not Vengeance hearing... HIV yeah. instead of, uh, you know, actual experiences and people uh, learning to survive with a new disease that's sort of like happening out in the world. And having conversations about trying to better understand it and destigmatize it, those things aren't happening. The only conversation that's happening is the Joker's loose in the city. And, <laughs> like, and so there is that thing that's that's happening that it's very easy if that's the only conversation that's happening for a conspiratorial mind. And I would say that any 14 or 15 year old boy is conspiratorial by nature. But even anybody at that time to then start thinking, well, CJ's the one story we're hearing about. How many other CJs are there? Mm -hmm. How many other people are doing that? And I think about, you know, from CJ, it was only a few years later when I was in college that then I feel like you heard people, especially in like the Atlanta area, start talking about the down low. And yeah. there was this sort of fear mongering of the down low that that's happening. And so it feels like those two things, it was a you could make a very short leap from the fear that's happening with CJ to what I remember seeing of the fear of the down low, which was every black man is now a threat of like, mm -hmm. oh, there are all these black men who may or, you know, who may be on the down low. And it was a similar sort of witch hunt that was happening. And, and so I, I think about that and I think about with CJ, I feel like at that time, it wasn't just that, oh my God, there's CJ. It's also there's CJ and there's maybe a hundred other CJs that aren't yeah. calling into radio stations. I, I think one of the things that I read in sort of like unpacking all of this is exactly that, that there becomes this massive fear that it isn't less people are afraid of CJ and more afraid of all of like sort of the CJ knockoffs, all the people that CJ has now inspired to take their HIV out into the streets for yeah. vengeance and then it it to your point it evolves eventually right like that becomes you you eventually are going to get tired of this news story much like anything yeah. be it be it covid be it the zika virus whatever it is it's not going to be the hottest conversation at all times forever and so that evolution then becomes oprah doing an entire episode about men on the down low and how like they're secretly having sex and then giving their partners the diseases from these you know the the men that they have sex with even though they don't want to identify as gay or whatever it is it becomes this complicated just Pokemon evolution of backwards thinking that that continues to to grow and spawn new ugly shit for everybody involved. Yeah, well, because then it's not just you. You started out you're demonizing HIV and AIDS, and then even with what you're saying as like a white guy gave it to her and he was bisexual, you now then start demonizing people who are bisexual. 
mm-hmm. people who are gay. So now there's a second demonization that's happening that's like, okay, well, if you're not straight, then there's something wrong with you too. And yeah. it goes, it feeds into that idea that, you know, this was still a time when people were like, well, this, this AIDS came from gay people and that it was just like a gay person's disease. And so you still had, you still had that going on. So you have two layers of demonization that are happening where you need conversations with care and compassion that are like, okay, wait a minute, maybe we need to destigmatize what like homosexuality or bisexuality or sexuality in general. Maybe we need to have a broader conversation about that. Oh, you're not ready for that? Okay, well, then we'll just keep scaring people. But also, maybe we should have a conversation about, you know, HIV and AIDS and just diseases in general and healthcare. Nope, you're not ready for that? Okay, well, we'll just Mm-mm. keep scaring the shit out of people. <laughs> All right, you just want to live in a fear society? Okay, cool. All right, well, here's the scarecrow. We don't have yep. any Batmans. We just have a lot of scarecrows. Uh, don't look under your bed. There's a gay AIDS monster there, and... uh he don't like you. He's, no. It's not going to go well for you. Yeah, that's Candyman. <laughs> that's the One of the, story. the last little bits that I think we should cover before we jump into break. I thought it was really interesting, in particular, given the time period and the circumstances of all of this, is that CJ never is, number one, verified to, to be the person that she's claiming to be. But number two they they never prove that this lady in fact does even have HIV or AIDS. She's not there's no blood test, there's no verification of this. It's just a person calling a radio station, saying a thing and then turning a city upside down as a result of the wild thing she decided to say. Yeah, there's not like 10 dudes who just came like on the news and they were like, "Oh yeah, we all had sex with CJ." And they like they like you would think okay yeah are there where are the people that she had sex with who have now contracted aids mm-hmm. and why are we not telling their stories yeah. and also now are they as some sort of retribution like are they doing some a similar thing to CJ right and and that's where I do remember and I feel like there were times where in the conspiratorial nature of things, people wondered, is this bullshit? Is this a hoax? Is this, you know, it it was very easy for it to turn into this thing of, well, maybe this is just some shit that like is coming from like the churches or something like that. Like this is all like this is all the black church and the black church, Bill Cosby and Oprah have all (laughs) come together in their secret, the black Illuminati have decided to get all of us to fucking put on condoms because those TLC videos weren't working. Uh, (laughs) Everybody was just putting condoms over their left eyes. They weren't putting them on their dicks. And this was not If a condom eye patch can't convince them, then we're going to need a massive conspiracy theory. Yeah. And so I think, so there was, I think, to your point, because no one was seeing or hearing anything other than CJ... Yeah, there was this aspect of it where I think like anything, uh, you know, and you have the people that are very quick to say, well, hold on a second, this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. But then it's not enough that it becomes bullshit. It's, well, then why would somebody be doing this? Well, you know, I think 
she wrote a letter to Ebony Magazine. And maybe mm-hmm. this was maybe this was somebody at Ebony Magazine, which was the black Illuminati at a, at a time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Ebony Magazine maybe is just one of their own people who wrote this letter. And then like and this is all just being engineered by Ebony Magazine to sell Magnum condoms. Because, <laughs> you know, that Robert Johnson has a stake in Magnum condoms because his last name is Johnson. And what do you call a dick? You call it a Johnson. You know that nigga making that money. This is all about that condom money because Ebony Magazine, even now in 1991, we know that magazines print media is on the decline. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But this new thing, the Internet, I got a D, I got a CD-ROM gives me 400 <laughs> minutes of the Internet. You know how much news I could read in that time? Print media is on a decline. Robert Johnson needs to make his money somehow. And he's making it in condom sales. And to do that, he's got to scare y'all niggas into wrapping your dicks up or fucking white ladies. <laughs> and then, There it is. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's exactly the, the, the type of conspiracy theory that, that makes... I, I don't want to say it makes sense, but it makes sense how that progression happens when you're living in such a a blind, nebulous space. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. like to me, the more dangerous era of COVID was when we were still spending every day speculating about where it came from. Yes. Right. Like now we've sort of given up on that idea and we just go, yo, how do we fix this? How do we get these variants to stop? Whatever, whatever. But when we were blaming Chinese people for eating bats, it becomes this fucking crazy, weird, violent conspiracy theory versus when we just get to the point where we go, we get to see it for what it is and go, "Okay, here are the numbers. Here's where we're at. Here's how we could actually change those numbers if we decide to do so. Exactly. And then we stop and at least go, okay, now we're being reasonable with each other. Exactly. If you walked into your kitchen and there was a a broken bottle of juice just on the floor, mm-hmm. you got a couple options. You can sit there and try to figure out the mystery of who broke the bottle, <laughs> find that person, go scream at them or do whatever the fuck. The whole time, the juice is staining your floor. It's ruining your floor. It's ruining your floor. You could spend that time instead trying to clean up the mess. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the problem is so often we're walking into a kitchen, there is a broken bottle of juice on the floor, and our response is, who the fuck did this? Let's beat the shit out of them and rub their nose in this broken glass, as opposed to saying, (laughs) wait a minute, this broken glass may pose a threat to everybody. Why don't we clean it up and clean up this entire mess and figure out how to prevent these things from happening later? But it's, we, we live in such a punitive society. And I think what's interesting, you bringing up COVID is like, the same reaction and response to CJ feels like, yeah, some decades later, 30 years later, we're still doing the same shit. We're still, who the fuck is it? Who the fuck, like, let's attack the people who either let's attack Chinese people because we think it came from them 
Let's tag black people because we don't think they're getting vaccinated fast enough. Mm -hmm. In Texas right now, the lieutenant governor of Texas is blaming black people for a surge in COVID like, and is unapologetic about it. And it's just like, yeah. or maybe let's clean up the mess and look at a system that creates a mess like this. We could be having conversations about healthcare, whether about COVID, whether about AIDS 30 years ago, but instead it is, oh no, let's fucking attack. <laughs> like, let's just fucking attack, find the person, rub their nose in glass, and then that'll... That'll solve it all. Yeah, we we got a lot of spilled juice and we're trying to make people's noses bloody, I think, is the, the big takeaway here. Yeah. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. No. More Wyatt Snack and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back I go Suck my dick. yeah we're back here with more wise and heck more my mama told me that was my we're favorite episode of reading rainbow <laughs> when he just decided to read players magazine 
I like that that in this version you're saying that LeVar Burton is like reading this is him reading out loud something that he's he's picked up and making sure that we're aware of the literature that he appreciates. Yeah. It's like, look, you kids, I've shown you books that you like. Let me mm-hmm. show you let me show you what <laughs> I like to read. Cause when you're around, I don't read these books with I like picture books too, just different pictures. Sure. Yeah. I'm not better than this, but as an adult, there are also things that I enjoy, and I think we should share those together. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy this issue, the September issue of Players Magazine. <laughs> Kids, suck my dick, yeah. but not in the way that <laughs> that that sounds like it sounds. Just more generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a. I, w- I want to unpack some of this research. A lot of it, I think, you covered already in your explanation of who CJ Nobody is, there are a few elements that I think are important to this story that might be worth digging into. So one of the things that you mentioned is that she, the original conversation from CJ Nobody, or at least the initiating incident that came from CJ Nobody, was her writing this letter and sending it to, I, it, was it Ebony Magazine? I, I think I read Essence, but it doesn't matter which magazine or publication. She Robert sent Johnson it to, owned them all. Robert John, she sent it to one of Robert Johnson's conglomerate, yeah. one of his publications, basically saying that she had she had HIV and she had now had sex with 48 men when she was writing this letter and wanted people to know that she was intentionally infecting these men with HIV. Then the uh, radio host that you mentioned gets a phone call from her two years later. So it's presumed that within that two years, she's had sex with hundreds of men more and then says that she plans to continue to do this and expresses no remorse for uh, what she's been doing, despite a lot of disc jockeys trying to reason with her. (laughs) And that same radio DJ also claims to have met her in person where he says that she was a a basically describes her as as I want to get this quote correct he says a a the type of woman that men would have a hard time saying no to 55 120 pounds long curly hair <laughs> so apparently she was she just a bad bitch that's yeah. essentially what he's saying and so men wouldn't say no and she was having sex with hundreds of men and uh, presumably giving them all uh, HIV. Yeah, the police sketch was just a drawing of her ass. <laughs> <laughs> Men would not say no to her. And can if you, you see something this face? fat, you gotta run. <laughs> that's so, I, wow. That's the the idea that he's like, yeah, she's five five. What? Yeah, that that's fascinating. I didn't know that part. That's hilarious. Yes, he he claims to have met her or at least met a person claiming to be her and was so taken with how pretty she was that he, I guess, understood how this worked now, that all these men who were having unprotected sex with her, like, he was like, I can't blame the fellas. I mean, look at this lady. (laughs) He's just like, we got to protect Michael Irvin at all costs. (laughs) The man has no control, especially around a lady this fine. No, yeah. He's got two cocaine lines parted into his hair. He's not. Uh, <laughs> we, if we want another Super Bowl, we gotta, we gotta lock him up. <laughs> so part of the sort of quote unquote fallout of this, this CJ nobody 
period is that the Dallas Urban League began passing out thousands upon thousands of condoms at like the 10 most popular nightclubs in Dallas as a a preventative tool measure for making sure that men weren't, I guess, being taken by CJ Nobody. That like they couldn't control, nobody could find CJ. So instead they're just like now giving men condoms at nightclubs and hoping that they do the, the right thing and use those condoms should they happen to lay with her. Right. Which I feel like, again, in the sort of wackiness of this whole thing, and I'm not, I'm not a detective. I've watched a lot of detective shows. I've read a lot of Batman comic books. Mm -hmm. But if you're CJ and your whole idea is you want to infect people and then some guy goes to a nightclub, he gets a condom and you take him home and he's like, hold on, let me put this condom on. I have to assume you're going to say get the fuck out of my house. Yeah. Like this feels <laughs> this feels like if this is true that this is just to just to sort of get into the mind of CJ for a minute. I feel like okay, yeah, how many instances of CJ then being like oh, oh no, icky, take the condom off and some guy being like, "Oh yeah, no, that's not how I get down." And her being like, "Well then, go get out yeah. of get out of this house yeah it's not like cj is gonna be like well still 0.02 percent i'm gonna right. do it i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna fuck him and see what happens yeah and yeah this is if i'm on a revenge mission you know what though sometimes i just want to have a little fun i don't <laughs> know that that's so that that feels weird it also feels strange that again it's not a conversation about education it's just no. Let's put a bunch of condoms out in the world and that'll solve it. And I feel like I've been to bars even now that have like at the end of the bar, there's a basket full of condoms. And mm -hmm. I don't know that those are doing anything. And I don't know that I would trust anybody's just rando condoms. I feel like that's always my thing. I you see those uh, I, I you know, I lived in New York for quite a while and you used to see those New York City condoms. They had like the, the sponsored brand of, I guess, condoms that they would put at every bar in in the city. Yeah. Here's the other thing. And as you're talking about this, I'm remembering something else from that time, which is there was another conspiracy theory that was floating around, which was that people were going around poking holes in condoms. Yes. And so there was also that fear that, okay, like you worried about somebody doing that in the grocery store, or the drugstore, going around poking holes in condoms. Some random condom that somebody gives me at a bar. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm already worried about the drugstore ones. That's why I have a bunch of lambs in my backyard that I keep skinning <laughs> to make my own condoms. Do they scream? Yes, of course they scream, but I can't afford to have a poked hole in my condom. Yeah, no. So it, it's a weird, it, it feels like, yeah, you're reminding me of just like the anxiety on top of anxiety that was existing where, yeah, you have some people being like, ah, shit, panic, give everybody condoms. Also at a time where people were like, there's another panic going around. We think there are random teenagers who 
want to play the worst long game prank ever. <laughs> that there are teenagers going around poking holes in condoms in the grocery store, in the drugstore, because the prank is some person we don't know is going to get stuck with a baby they weren't <laughs> prepared for. Yeah, it's not that fun of a prank. No. It's like truly... Like, there's no payoff for it unless you just uh, track this person for the rest of their lives. Like, I'm not sure what you're gaining from this experience. Yeah. But I think in both situations, there's something there's something at work there, which is this sort of the fear of the unknown where it's not uh, again, even thinking about the CJ thing. It's not a targeted thing. It's not like. It's it's not like like she's saying, oh, I'm targeting black men, but it's not as though she's saying I'm going after Michael Irvin and Emmett Smith. Like mm -hmm. I'm just taking out the Dallas Cowboys yeah. and I have a very specific thing, which is I'm going after these people who are high profile people and I want to see them have to then live a high profile life with this because I feel like there, I, I looked up when I was trying to remind myself, I looked up an article about this. And one thing that they mentioned about CJ that I, I didn't remember was that she described herself as coming from like an upper middle class yep. family. And so there's something also about that that's like, yeah, you're if you're just targeting random people like it's that's like you don't see like you're not seeing whatever the they then have to go through and also mm -hmm. how weird is it if you're an upper middle class person chances are you have access to better medical care than most of the people you're targeting also if you're a rich black lady who was hooking up with rich white guys i'm assuming her boyfriend was a rich white guy it feels weird that you would then like AIDS or not. It feels weird if you've already lived in rich black and rich white circles that yeah. you would say like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the enclave. Yeah. And, I'm going to go slum it for punishment. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not, that's not how that works. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I like, I, I assume if, Serena Williams, I, I wish her the best in her marriage to Alexis Ohanian. <laughs> but I feel like if they were to split up, I don't see her going after dudes who just like some nigga from FedEx. Like, nope. <laughs> I feel like you're in a circle where you're probably going to wind up hanging out with like the guy who's like the fourth in line to the throne or something like that. Yeah. Like, there's no knockoff brand of caviar, you know? You you kind of just got to keep rocking with the ones that you know. Yeah. But yeah, that I reading that I was kind of like, oh, "Okay, this all seems real fishy that she's just like a rich black lady who then decided she wanted to target presumably like black men who aren't as rich as her." This yeah. all feels suspect as hell. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agreed. Well, the other interesting thing was, I don't know if you would plan to talk about this, but it was a 15 year old girl who was the one who she was CJ and she said, Oh, yeah, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. So CJ was a 15 year old girl and 
she apparently had uh, a friend, lost a friend to AIDS. And so she wrote the letter. She then was the first person to call the radio station. And the cops figured out it was her. They matched her writing style or a writing sample from her to the Ebony, to the Ebony Magazine article. She... Uh, they like there was like an AP interview with her where she was like, I was just doing this to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS. <laughs> she had no regrets about any of it. They actually name her and like say like this is her name. And she was like, I have no regrets about any of this. And it's kind of like, I guess I'd do it again, whatever. There was another person who also took part, who was a woman in her 20s who was also doing it as a hoax and just kind of like saw the momentum going and just picked it up and was like, oh, okay. I'll I'd... be the face of of CJ. I'll, I'll become CJ. Yeah. And so it did get a little bit of a mind of its own where you did have then this, like, I think it was like a 29-year-old woman who was like, oh, yeah, I want some attention, so I'm going to do this too. And... Yeah, it's this very bizarre thing of the sort of the the end of it all was this kind of like strange thing that happened where, yeah, it was a 15 year old girl and then also this 29 year old woman who both did see it as almost like this vigilante thing of. We want to raise awareness, but in the clumsiest way possible. Well, it, it almost reminds me a bit of uh, that summer where, like, everybody was dressing up as cl- killer clowns. Do you know what I mean? And hiding in the woods right. and, like, just scaring people for the sake of scaring people. And I guess it became, like, this this viral prank that more and more people are taking on and doing the thing. Or even if you, you know, make it more contemporary, the fucking crate challenge that's happening right now of like black people like putting a bunch of crates on top of each other and pretending like they're on American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> and at first it's it's something that a person is doing, but then it's a thing that a bunch of people are doing. And then it becomes a debate about who who's responsible for it and what responsibility we have and I guess stopping this thing, but it's too far gone to actually control. So now we're just in it you yeah know what i mean and also did we fail that 15 year old that this is what she thought was going to raise awareness that like yeah this is you know this like this isn't and this is the days before the internet being what it is but this isn't like she can go find like other people who have an organization where she can talk about her grief at losing a friend or any of that. It's, yeah. She's just gone and done like vigilante justice and is like, I'm going to make the world a better place, I think, as a 15 year old <laughs> by terrifying a bunch of people. By terrifying a bunch of drunk, horny people as they go out into the night. Yeah. And terrifying them about something that maybe they shouldn't be terrified about. But maybe they should have a better understanding uh, of. Yeah. And so, yeah, it becomes a very strange, becomes a very strange thing. And then I, yeah, yeah. And to your larger point, I I don't always love when people like position it like, oh, your your poor, tragic life that you 
have made for yourself, whatever, because you didn't have the right circumstances. But she clearly wasn't in the right headspace for processing grief at a young age. And so you have to assume she didn't get that much better at it if she was writing fucking age threats in in magazines at that young age. Yeah. And so, like, to your point, it's like the tragedy is a tragedy, but we could at least help the person on the back end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. No, that was the one bit of information where I was like, I don't want to I, I, I cut this part out, but it's because it, it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want to bring any more attention to to her in that way but uh it is such a that aspect of it i feel like if somebody when some dallas npr station decides to do the like the eight part episode series on cj i really hope that episode eight isn't like let's check in with her now (laughs) when they do slow burn cj They're just uh, 40 years or 30 years since uh, (laughs) since the Dallas scare. Let's talk about it. Yeah. The other thing that sort of surprised me in in digging into some of this stuff, which I didn't know. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, is that Texas actually made it illegal back in 1989 to intentionally give someone AIDS or HIV that like if you knowingly had sex with someone and did not uh, expose to them ahead of time that you had AIDS or HIV, unprotected sex. Right. You you were basically, you could be charged with a felony that could get you 20 plus years in prison, depending on like, I guess, the the outcome of that sex. Mm-hmm. And, and even in other states, and these laws remain uh, in a lot of cases true today, in other states, it's illegal to uh, knowingly have sex with someone without telling them about your AIDS, HIV status, even if they don't contract AIDS or HIV. Like it's basically like you you attempted to give them the thing right. despite not actually giving them the thing. Right. And again, in that idea of like criminalizing something, you the energy you're putting towards that one how do you prove you didn't know like mm-hmm. there's that part of it that's like sometimes people don't know and yet you could still criminalize a person because you're putting it on them like it's like oh, okay no you gave it to them and it's a very easy way to i think give a lot of people felonies for something that they may not have been fully aware of. Mm-hmm. On top of that, it goes to this idea again of like, we're criminalizing something rather than if we put all that energy and resource, those resources into better healthcare, this is something that people today, we see it now today where it isn't the death sentence that people thought it was 30 years ago. Absolutely. And so th- there are there are great examples of exactly what you mean. So like recently, I, I the year is, I think, slipping me in, in my research, but a 26-year-old man recently was charged and put on probation. Uh, he almost went to jail for this when he accidentally transmitted 
HIV during a one night stand with another dude. He was on HIV suppressant medication and was told directly like to his face by his doctors that he could not transfer the disease to another person. So he's going into this situation, speaking to the education of it all, thinking, yo, my doctor said I'm good. I'm meeting with the person. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, taking medications. And then a bad thing happens. And then the courts step in and go, all right, dog, looks like we got to send you to jail for for you uh, fucking and and just not knowing, which is crazy. Yeah. And we're now punishing you as though you have to live like this ostracized person. You have to. It's that thing of, you know, there was that time in like medieval times of like the leper colonies and Mm -hmm. it felt like especially in the 90s that people wanted to round up everyone with aids and create new leper colonies in this way of like well no let them all just be over there and that's how we get rid of this thing as opposed to maybe we need a more inclusive healthcare system that says okay whether you have cancer, whether you have AIDS, whether you have sickle cell anemia, whether you have a common cold, we need to treat all of these things so that you can continue to be a functioning member of society, of your family, of the people you call close to you, all that shit. And we don't do that. Instead, it just becomes, okay, round them up. Take that guy and like, we're going to make you a criminal because you had a one night stand. And for anybody else who's thinking about having a one night stand, even if you have all the right medication and like you said, are doing all the right things. Nope, you're not allowed to do that anymore. You're not allowed to enjoy the thing that somebody else is allowed to enjoy. And we don't give a shit how you contracted HIV in the first place. You could have been born with it. You could have contracted it through sex. You could have contracted it. Because you work in a, you know, in a field where you maybe somehow like had a cut and, you know, transfer blood to blood transfer some way, blood transfusion. I don't know. I'm not a fucking doctor, but like, <laughs> you could have caught this shit any number of ways. Probably not a toilet seat uh, because <laughs> I think we've debunked that one. But in the 90s, people still thought a toilet seat could transmit AIDS. And so, but whatever the, whatever the way, it may have been something out of your control, but we're saying, mm-hmm. no, even if it was out of your control, you're not allowed to enjoy the thing that somebody else gets to enjoy. And you're a fucking criminal if you do yeah. it. Yeah. No high fives for you and you're going to jail, big dog. That's, that's essentially what they're, they're saying for what should be, you know, what for most of us is a, a if nothing else, innocuous experience. It's a thing that that happens and you move on and hopefully you didn't hurt yourself or another person in the process. Yeah. I did a little bit of of unpacking in terms of these this question of arrest and people going to jail. And, and a UCLA study from a few years ago noted that between 1988 and September of 2017, 571 HIV-related arrests were made in Georgia alone. And before 1997, HIV-related arrests were rare, 27 annually. So there is like now an increasing number of people being arrested and or criminalized for uh, giving someone 
a disease or it, or I guess, quote unquote, attempting to give someone a disease, whether that's true or not true. Right. And I bet I mean, that's over 500 people. And I bet if you were to talk to all 500 of those people, I would be surprised if they're like what number of those 500 people were like, no, I was intentionally trying to do this. And yes. And that's and and again, that the fact that there's 500 people for the people who want to make that argument. And again, that, uh, you know, going back to like the fear of the down low and all that shit for someone who wants to make the fear mongering argument that there are people out there who are knowingly trying to infect other people, knowingly trying to harm other people. This only adds fuel to that fire to say that, like, well, look, 500 people are in jail over this shit. That's how Mm -hmm. in one state alone, that's how real this shit is. When in fact, it's a fucking damaged sort of criminal justice system that has turned them into villains when I would argue that the majority of them probably not the case. Yeah. And and frankly, that the villain doesn't really even exist like that, that the number of people who who would even have that kind of response are it's so small that it's almost zero. I saw this uh, video uh, in doing some of this research of this lady in Americus, Georgia. Americus, Georgia didn't know it was a place that existed, but apparently it does. And in 2019, this lady, Brandy Lassiter, went on Facebook Live claiming to be HIV positive and threatened to infect a number of men who she had who she had felt wronged her and uh, also their wives and girlfriends subsequently because she was fucking them. They're going to fuck them. Everybody's going to get HIV and AIDS. That's said when she was confronted by the police because naturally a bunch of people are now scared that they are (laughs) in fact being uh, infected call the police on this lady she immediately shows the police a blood test from the year before showing that she did not in fact have hiv and then goes on to then offer herself for a second blood test saying like no i was just doing this because i was upset and wanted attention more than actually giving anybody anything. And I think that probably is more a symptom of the CJs and the Brandies and anybody who we're claiming is like out here, like uh, just giving this vengeful HIV. It's like, no, your breast probably like mentally unwell and making bad choices more than you are sick and wanting to to make other people sick. Yeah. Well, it goes again back to that idea of trying to take something that should be normalized and turn it into something scary that Mm -hmm. it's it becomes a weapon in this way that you're scaring people with the idea of hiv and aids as opposed to normalizing it where there are more people who are living lives with hiv and aids than you realize and they're living productive lives happy lives but you are turning it into this weapon that is, oh, okay, what's the scariest thing I can say is to infect people with this disease. This, I feel like this is the part of the lesson the baby didn't learn, <laughs> which is like 
you've turned <laughs> HIV and AIDS into a, a, a slur almost. It's a bad mm-hmm. word that is this thing that people should be scared of. It becomes a boogeyman that people should be afraid of as opposed to it is something that people live with every day. There are plenty of things that people live with every day, plenty of diseases, viruses, conditions that people live with every day. And if we normalize the conversation around that, maybe we could turn our attention to why don't we have a better healthcare system? And I know I'm starting to sound like I work for Bernie Sanders, but uh, (laughs) the guy had some interesting good ideas. He just had some weird uh, followers, weird vocal followers. Sure. If you can just get rid of his entire fan base, then uh, that guy is awesome. Yeah. You know, give and, you know, you maybe want him to be in a place where he can figure out these things in a state that's, you know, maybe a little more diverse than Vermont uh, (laughs) because it's real great to talk about how to do all this shit in super white Vermont. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, how do you make it work for everybody across the board? Sure. But I, and I, I say all that, though, but it is like there's a conversation around healthcare. Even I, I feel like we talked about COVID a little while ago, but this past week I was I, I'm, I'm vaccinated. I was with a vaccinated person who caught a breakthrough Delta case. Mm-hmm. And so she she got Delta. She was sick. She's OK. But she lost like sense of smell and all that stuff but immediately reached out to everybody that she hung out with over the last like week and was like, hey, I, I caught a breakthrough case of Delta. You might want to go get a COVID test. Walked to the you know dock in the box down the street the minute she said something. On Monday, got a COVID test. Went back on Friday, got another COVID test. Both came back fine or negative. But the idea that in this moment, I could go easily do that, and yeah. that there, and that it's not costing me anything, and that like treatment for this, that yeah, you can go to a drugstore today and get a fucking vaccine, and that this is what healthcare should look like. That to get a flu shot, to get anything you need, whether it's medicine. Like if we had, if we normalize these things, we would live we could live in a world where, OK, if someone gets a disease or gets sick in any way that. All right. Yeah, there's places to go do that. There are doctors who live in your neighborhood and community who can help destigmatize these conversations. There are other people who live openly with these things that you can talk to that resources aren't these things that you have to go to the dark corners of the internet to go to find, but they're yeah. readily available. And I feel like what's so both fascinating, but sad about hearing something like, like that, like that Brandy woman. And just to know that in Georgia, HIV and AIDS is criminalized in the way that it is. It runs so counter to a world where we could live in a better version of the world where, all right, these things aren't criminalized, but they're treated with the things that they need, which are 
healthcare resources, like medical yeah. resources. It's rather than criminal resources. Yeah, I, I think in a in an ideal society, even if Brandy were being honest about her experience, more people would have reached out and been like, yo, what can we do to help you uh, live a decent, functional life with your new experience rather than being like, we got to get this crazy bitch out of here before she infects all of us with this terminal disease. Yeah. Well, and even I think about, you know, if you take it, if you take it to just a cold, if, you know, you've lived in New York, I feel like if you live in New York and you take the subway on the subway, they're like, if you feel like you have a cold, especially through during like cold and flu season, they're like, stay home. Like yeah. companies are like, don't come into work. Don't get everybody else sick. Take care of yourself. Do you need something? Some like Joanne will bring you some soup because that's just who Joanne is. She's a nice lady that way. Good gal. Yeah. A racist sometimes, but <laughs> just nice when it comes to soup. Real free with the soup. soup on deck. But real Islamophobe. <laughs> just watches a little too much Bill Maher. But, uh, but I think that's like, I look at the way that we treat a cold or a flu and we over time have gotten to this place of, okay, yeah, like this, this is just something that we say, all right, get people medicine, do the, like, do what you need to do to get better and to, you know, be okay. And what do you need? And with so many other things, it is not that. And it is, again, this world that We've put our interests in sort of dooming people and damning people for whatever, whether it is, yeah, contracting a disease or COVID or any of these things. We've damned people as opposed to saying like, okay, maybe we need a society that focuses more on healthcare. And yeah, if someone was going to knowingly try to infect somebody with anything, they maybe need to talk to a therapist. They maybe need to talk to a social worker. And how do we put our resources into that? And that's why I'm saying, Bernie, 2022, 2024, <laughs> I don't know. Whenever the next coup happens, you know. Bernie's back. Yeah. The 80-year-old uh, young, young startup, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back with more Wyatt Zanak and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. 
Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. And we are back. I go there for you. Anything you want, I got you for you, girl. Baby, I go pray for you. We are you go there to let eternity go. Yeah, we're back here with more Wyatt Zanak, more My Mama Told Me. We're still talking about CJ Nobody and the possibility that that maybe this was all just a long con for AIDS education, that that she she truly was solving all of our problems with the work that she did in teaching us uh, how to be more accountable as adults and put on condoms and behave uh, reasonably with each other when we're feeling hot and horny. Yeah, it was the clumsiest after-school special ever. <laughs> you did it, CJ. You nailed it. I also want to say every time that you say CJ Nobody, it sounds very close to BJ Novak. Oh. (laughs) Which I feel like. You know, BJ Novak running around, giving everybody AIDS. I was going to say, if if BJ Novak had like like a a bizarro version of BJ Novak, it would be like CJ Nobody from Earth 2. It does feel very much like uh, some sort of weird mixing up of the letters and you coming up with a bad version of it. A Soul Train scramble board. (laughs) I love it. All right, let's jump into this game. I have a a fun game, a game we haven't played in a while. This is a fun game I call Homemade Hotel. Homemade Hotel. So the way this game works, Wyatt, is I am going to introduce to you a commonly believed, not believed, a, a, a real life fact from the world, a real fact that that existed in the world. And what I would love for you to do is just hotep the shit out of it. Add whatever flavoring or logic or information that you can gather from this fact to just make it as hotepy and, and sort of conspiratorial as you can possibly make it. Does that work for you? Got body. Hell yeah. <laughs> You're already in it. I yeah. love it. Okay, here's the fact that I found for you. It turns out that the Three Musketeers bar 
actually used to come in three flavors. There were three flavor options for the three for the three musketeers bar. There was chocolate, there was vanilla, and there was strawberry. And then at some point they got rid of vanilla and strawberry. My question for you is what's happening there? Why? Here's the thing that people don't realize about three musketeers bars. Three musketeers bars they were selling really well in white neighborhoods, mm. affluent white neighborhoods. And that vanilla, that strawberry, what people don't realize, the vanilla had fluoride in it. It was real mm. good for your teeth. That strawberry had amino acids would keep you, you know, nice and strong. <laughs> Eventually, you know, Three Musketeers started making their way into black neighborhoods. Now, all of a sudden, Folks got worried that all these black people going to have nice teeth and be real big and strong. So they were like, "Uh uh-uh, we got to take this shit out of here. We can't we can't run the risk of having them have too good a teeth where they could, you know, take like nice TV jobs from us or be too strong (laughs) where they could break us over their knees like Bane. So we need to take that stuff out of there and then just give them the chocolate, you know, just give them D'Artagnan. I think that was one of the three musketeers. They're not, they can't have the other two. We'll keep those for ourselves. So that's, uh, I feel like that's, if that's my first run at it, I feel like you give me an hour. I could you give me an hour. Let me step away for a second and uh, sure. just uh, see, a, see a, a man about a horse. I bet you I could, I could, I could do better. Well, I don't think you can. I think that was beautiful work. I'm very proud of you. That was truly the the idea that there were secret ingredients that would have made us stronger and less uh, would have been less damaging to our black bodies feels like maybe an honest thing that could have been happening with these three musketeers bars, that there were resources that they just snatched away from us. And now we'll never get them back. And we just got to eat weird, fluffy nougat for the rest of our lives, which has no no nutritional value, I think. No, but hold on. I got one more for you. Hell yeah. All right. So here's the thing. You said the Three Musketeers bar, it had three flavors, right? So yep. it was what? Vanilla, strawberry, chocolate? Mm-hmm. All right. So vanilla represents what you think it represents, my young The G. white. The white <laughs> man. The white person. Yeah, that vanilla represents the white body. What you think that chocolate represents, my young king? Black. That's black people. Exactly. Black king right here. We got kings and queens on this podcast. Yeah. That black people. That strawberry. Yeah. That represents the blood that runs through each of us. The whites and the blacks is saying we are no different in this Three Musketeers bar. But. People don't want us seeing that, oh, yeah, we got the same blood that runs through us. They want to divide us. They don't want us to see this imagery of black people, white people coming together. The oligarchs don't want that because if we all start to come together, then we going to say, hey, these oligarchs, they treating us like we ants. <laughs> But you know what happens when enough ants come together? Ants take over and ants eat oligarchs. Everybody knows that. That's why if you go to my 
my store. I sell sweatshirts that say ants eat oligarchs. <laughs> you can buy one right now. We got hoodies, we got t-shirts, and we got face masks, but not for COVID. Those are face masks for other things. But at any rate, the Three Musketeers bar. So what they said was, we don't want white people and black people to see that they need to work together because the threes, the three musketeer owned by the Mars corporation, Mars, <laughs> Mars corporation, those some rich motherfuckers. All right. So they're like, nah, we don't want, that's a threat to us. Take that shit out of there. Just give them chocolate. Damn. 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 Wake up motherfuckers at home. You just got served. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want us living together in peace and harmony. We could have been together, but nah, they took the they took that vanilla. They took that strawberry and now we're just sitting alone with our chocolate. And yeah. maybe chocolate's okay, but it would have been better if we had them all together living in peace. Yeah, you know what happens when everyone lives together in peace when you have the white and the black, the black and the white come together, you mm -hmm. get almond joy. Damn. And I've been trained my whole life to hate Almond Joys. And maybe that's my own backwardsness. That's my own self-hatred yeah. stepping in the way of my own joy. Yeah, no, that is self-hatred. You want the joy that comes, that Almond Joy. You want that. Yeah. Damn. Heavy yeah. shit. We did it, Wyatt. I think we fucking did it. This was a fun episode. Could you tell the, the people at home where they can find you, what cool stuff you have going on? Like where they can find me, my address? Yes. Please tell them your specific address. This... <laughs> no P.O. boxes accepted. <laughs> I live uh, at Drake's house. So okay. if, you, if you happen to get, if you happen to see Kanye's tweet where he gave out Drake's address, that's where you can. Same spot. Yeah, you can go ask for me. And I'm in one of the rooms. There's so many rooms <laughs> here. I don't even know how to get out. I just find food wherever it's left and <laughs> wherever Drake leaves it, you know, and hope for the best social media, which I'm not that active on. I, although I guess I shouldn't say that I need to grow, need to grow that follower farm, grow that following baby. Yeah. It's all at Wyatt Snack, W-Y-A-T-T-C-E-N-A-C on Twitter and Instagram, not on TikTok. Good for you. Yeah. Beyond that, I'm not really doing much. Okay. It's well, pandemic, baby. Yeah. As soon as this pandemic's over, you motherfuckers better uh, check out everything Wyatt's doing. Yeah. And follow him. Do all the things you're supposed to do everywhere except TikTok. And as always, you can follow me at Langston Kerman. And uh, please subscribe. Please write reviews and comments for this podcast. It's very important that you do that. Otherwise, I'll never forgive you. Okay. Bye, bitch. Bye-bye. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. 
<sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my! Look at that! He is! And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win! Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind. So you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.